The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Matters, a show that aims to support the leadership development of current and future public and nonprofit leaders. Each episode is designed to inform leaders and inspire solutions. I'm Tom Wall, and I'll be your moderator for our discussion today. I work with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities and for the Strategic Change Initiative. Together, we work to help organizations to transform themselves in the present so they might better prepare their organization for a more successful future. Today, we're going to have a discussion on the ways and means to assure that organizational growth can be positive and sustainable for an organization. With me today, as a guest panelist, is my good friend, Rihanna Absar. Rihanna, good to have you with us. Would you please take a moment and introduce yourself to our listening audience? Thanks, Tom. Yeah, so I'm Rihanna Absar. I'm the senior associate here at the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities, and I work primarily with our Center on Leadership, um, which really works to help equip human service leaders um, to become impactful change leaders. So I'm glad to be here today. Good to have you with us. Now, with us today also is our special guest, Patrick Lawler, the CEO of Youth Villages in Memphis, Tennessee. We'll ask Pat to introduce himself in a minute after a brief introduction. In our field today, many believe that an organization is likely to be either growing or shrinking. Those organizations with old ideas that aren't working may very well find themselves shrinking. In today's world, no one wants to buy services anymore. They want to buy results. If we can't produce the results that everyone wants, we're probably going to shrink. Those organizations with the right ideas can grow because their ideas are working and everyone wants to partner with an organization that has ideas that are working. But growth can bring challenges to an organization as well. When we grow, especially if we grow rapidly, we have to find ways to manage that growth. Some organizations that grow too rapidly without a clear plan for handling their growth lose their special edge as a result of their growth, and then they begin to shrink again. Our guest today, Pat Lawler, had a plan for growth, and he and his team have managed the growth of their organization remarkably well. Harvard Business School has studied the growth of youth villages and has declared it to be the gold standard for the success for a successful nonprofit group. Well, that's a remarkable endorsement. Youth Villages started small, but under Pat Lawler's leadership, it's grown to serve more than 12,000 children and families in 10 different states. 
the co-author of the Harvard study, Kathy Ross, said not only are they highly effective, but they're highly effective at a lower cost to the state and the taxpayers. Primarily dealing with children with emotional and behavioral challenges who are referred by governmental agencies, the Youth Villages model focuses on serving children in their homes with their families and in their own communities. Currently, only 300 youth in their programs have been recommended for residential care. The rest live in their communities. That's the Youth Villages model for success. We're honored to have Pat Lawler here with us today to discuss some of his ideas. Pat, would you please introduce yourself to our audience? This is Pat Lawler. I'm the CEO of Youth Villages, and glad to be here, Tom and Rihanna. It's an honor to have you here with us. Pat, once upon a time, you were the leader of a much smaller organization with a few big ideas. What specific ideas or insights got you started on the journey that eventually led you toward this successful model that you've now developed? Well, actually, uh, I came into this field 42 years ago and really didn't really come up at all with a, 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 any insight or, or particularly new idea until after 20 years. Uh, the first uh, year I spent working in a residential program when I was 18, and then I spent five and a half years working in the juvenile court of Memphis in Shelby County, and part of that time as probation counselor. And then the next really 13 years, uh, from uh, 1980 to 1993, I was at Youth Villages. So during that 20 years, uh, my primary focus uh, was uh, helping uh, to build and understand uh, young people uh, that would be best served in a residential program. While there wasn't a silver bullet, we believe for that 20-year period, and I did as well, that the silver bullet was providing residential care for abused, neglected, and mostly troubled young people. And it really was until really 1993, 20 years after I'd started in this field, where we started asking ourselves, was this really the best way to care for young people? And actually... Mm -hmm. Uh, the insight came after we started collecting research data uh, in 1986 and started tracking the young people who left our residential program, and they were failing. About half the young people were failing after they left our residential program. So we started asking ourselves, you know, is this really the best way to help children and families? And uh, really what we came to in 1990, I guess it was actually 1993, uh, we actually hired an intern from the University of Vanderbilt, who was an MBA program there, and began doing some research. And then when he graduated from Vanderbilt, his MBA began to do some more research for us, which led us to really ask ourselves, are we really supporting the families that these young people so desperately need? And really went through an epiphany of sort between 1993 and 1995. We changed uh, really the way we believed. We really believed previously we were in the business of raising other people's family. But by the time 1995 got here, after some of our own research and looking at some research others were doing around the country, and our own experiences, we really believed that children were raised best by their families. Now, obviously there were some families that were unsafe for young people. That mm -hmm. kind of led us to thinking differently. And we even started asking ourselves a little bit about you know, our own experiences. And most of the kids in our residential program, all they talked about was going home. You know, we, and, and we didn't see much activity from the families. They didn't visit the kids very often. We were also located 30 miles away from downtown Memphis. And as we started asking ourselves, most of these families didn't have transportation to get there in the first place. 
or we had visiting hours on Sunday afternoon where probably wasn't the best time for kids to, and families to visit together anyway. So we really kind of changed directions of the organization and started all over in 1995, yeah. saying we're going to try to really work to hold families together and prevent them from coming to our residential program. But if they do, we're going to engage those families intensely and try to return them back to their families as soon as possible safely. Well, obviously, you've expressed a number of thoughts, opinions, and values. What cornerstone values did you use to guide you on your journey? Or did those values, as you were suggesting, did they change and, and evolve over time? Yeah. Well, a couple things. First, I, I had a great family growing up that, you know, had great values, you know, kind of built into the DNA as I was growing up as a kid. Uh, you know, our family was, you know, wonderful by getting us involved in activities, sports, you know, scouts, church, obviously very active in school. Uh, you know, so I had a you know a strong foundation there. Uh, but also, you know, I think one thing, youth villages, I was very fortunate in the early 90s to build, to, to really we built a strong leadership team and really, uh, five of the of the really the top six people in our organization today have been with us more than twenty years. So it was really, you know, the cornerstone values came from a group of of other staff that really that helped build the organization together. And uh, you know, I think that you know the most important, I guess, value that we all kind of experienced together was learn from our you know our, our successes, but also learn from our failures. And we talked a lot about. Uh, you know, um, cure, you know, being curious and how we could be um, better at serving young people than I just produce a, uh, uh, I guess, a good experience to produce a better life, help young people have a better life. And I think growing up, you know, we all talked about our own experiences and what led us to, you know, go to college and, and have a career and focus on, you know, our health and focus on, you know, our spiritual life or focus on, you know, activities we were involved in. And so, by sharing those experiences, you know, we started, like I said, being more curious about how we could help young people and what they were really experiencing in their own lives and families to help make a difference. So that's kind of, you know, that was kind of the framework there early on. Well, you were curious, and you began to explore and then evaluate. Were there ideas that you adopted and really believed in early on that you eventually moved away from or adapted to a different form as you began to grow as an organization? Yes, I think that, you know, early on, um, you know, if we felt good about our work and we were tired at the end of the day and we were able to pay the bills and get the payroll out on, you know, every other Friday, we felt pretty good about our work. But as we start collecting data and really understanding that many of our kids were not doing well, you know, rather than saying, okay, we've got to go another direction, we actually start collecting more data and put more research, resource into our own research and evaluation processes to really understand what was really happening. And then even then, we took very small steps. And uh, we spent, like I said, really about a year and a half in, in doing research and evaluation to determine what direction we wanted to go as an organization. But even then, started a very, very small program that really didn't grow much the first two or three years because it was a laboratory of sorts. We said, you know, before we really grow and, are thinking about impacting other young people's lives. We need to get it right with a small number of young people and families first. So that's kind of, you know, one of the, the early lessons. Mm-hmm. Well, of the ideas that you had, 
um, and that you've worked on, which of the ideas specifically do you feel brought about the most explosive growth within your organization? Well, I'm going to talk about a recent idea. Well, it wasn't really an idea. It came from our research. Throughout the, in the late 90s, one of our, the head of our research department came to me. I think it was 96 or 97. She came to me and said, Pat, you know, we're collecting this data and we're becoming more sophisticated. And we're finding that the young people are having the most trouble when they leave our programs are the older kids. Now, we mm-hmm. believed in those days that the longer a young person would stay in your residential program, that the more success they would have is when they left your program because they'd obviously been in your program and had a lot of counseling, a lot of you know good educational programs, uh, you know really good foundation for a young person built a good foundation for a young person to leave here as a young adult. But what we found those young people were going back in their same families at 17, 18, and 19 when they left it that they'd probably left when they were 11 or 12, and those families haven't changed, and the young people became more of a reflection of what those families were doing in their lives. And we always say, you know, your friends are your future. And so while they might have been with us two or three years, they back in the home in six or seven weeks, they were already back into maybe gangs or drugs or dropping out of school or, you know, involved in a lot of inappropriate behavior. So we said that, you know, we've got to develop a program for these older youth aging out of the foster care system. And uh, so really we began a new journey looking for support to help these young people that were really 18 to 23 be successful as young adults. And so that was really probably one of the, the, the biggest, um, I guess, um, changes we made in our organization in, in recent years where we started helping older youth and, and unfortunately couldn't find funding for years until we found a philanthropist in 99 that helped us get some, provide some seed funding so we could start working and prove our model. Outstanding. Thanks, Pat. We're going to be back after a short break. Stay with us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. I'm Tom Wall. We're back with our panelist, Rihanna Absar, and our special guest, Pat Lawler. And we're talking about pathways to successfully sustain organizational growth. Before the break, Pat was reviewing the ideas that set the foundation for the tremendous growth of his organization. Pat, I wonder if you could review for us some of the challenges that you faced as you began to grow and how you overcame those growth-related challenges. Okay. I read a quote years ago. One of my favorites says, wherever you trip, you find a treasure. And uh, so, you know, we've stumbled many times, but, you know, it's really strengthened the organization. And in the early years, you know, from 1980 to the mid-'90s, we had serious financial problems. and We were borrowing money, you know, uh, from the bank just to, to make the payroll, you know, our facilities were in poor condition. You know, we, we didn't even, we offered very, very few benefits to staff, and it was just, you know, while at the time it was more, we were in survival mode for the most part. Uh, but what that did, as we started to um, build some resources, you know, we really started thinking about the future of our organization, and we said, you know, we've got to have some money in the bank. We can't, you know, we can't grow, we can't, you know, outgrow our coverage. You know, we've got to, if we're going to be a sustainable organization and continue to try to create new new initiatives and, and do research, we've got to have some some kind of risk capital. And so, mm-hmm. I think early on in the I guess the early nineties, we started trying to put some money in the bank, and not you know our, our heart was outrunning our, our our really our our head. And you know so often it's happened in not for profits where we we want to do so much for young people, we really forget about the business part. And so mm-hmm. that was really something that. Uh, one of the, I guess, while it's not really related to, you know, programs and services, it, it's related to the survival of a company and also the, really the, the success of a company. So we did that. Uh, but oh, here's some, some other, and, and I think as you as you're in the growing phase, you know, you're always going to have some problems along the way, and they're usually going to cost more than you ever imagined. And uh, so, uh, you know, we've had cuts in fundings. Uh, you know, over the years, we've had. Uh, rules change, uh, which which requires to hire more staff. Right now, there's a big focus on compliance. We also receive Medicaid funding, so there's got to be there's a lot of rigorous rules about adhering to Medicaid uh, practices. Uh, you know, and when you build an organization with more staff, there's more you know some legal challenges from time to time. Uh, and so we've had to, like I said, build a, a stronger reserve to help you know uh, kind of respond to some of those challenges. Come with a new organ with building a, a bigger organization and moving into new areas of the country as well. Outstanding. Of course. As you grow, there's always going to be challenges to help your staff make the adjustments that they need to make to allow you to sustain your growth. Could you talk about some of the things that you did specifically to help your staff make the adjustments that they needed to make yeah. to allow you to sustain your growth? We got heavily involved in the early 90s in the uh, whole total, total quality management movement to really um, not just 
you know, we talked about, you know, our outcome data and measuring how kids are doing after they left our program. But we use as much or even more tools to measure how our staff were performing and how our programs were performing overall while young people were with us. And not just, you know, our staff and our programs, but also all of our internal systems. So it really helped us to understand, you know, what was working and what, what, what wasn't working and where we should give attention to. And, and really over the years, it helped us manage our growth. And there were some years when we didn't grow very much. We said, look, we need to slow our growth down. We are not getting the outcomes we need to get. Our programs are not as effective as we thought they were. You know, we're hiring staff that aren't skilled or trained. We need to provide more training to these young people. We need to provide more leadership development training. We need to refine the model because it's not producing the results we had hoped. So uh, that data has been extremely helpful over the years, and, and now you know we have even more sophisticated data, but it's still something we're, we're learning about every day. Pat, usually folks believe that there is a shelf life to a solution, to a model, to an idea. Have you found that you have to freshen up each of your ideas every two, three, or four years? Uh, or have you found some ideas that are kind of universal and they work over time? Well, I think our, our, some of the, the overarching philosophical ideas, you know, you know, I think over time, but, oh, yes. I mean, we have, you know, just with... Uh, you know, the young people that we hire today are so different than the young people we hired 20, 30 years ago. You know, the onset of social media, uh, you know, there's so much more sophisticated research and data out there now and, and some, you know, a lot of clinical trials that have been successful that have led us to do many things different. You know, we use about, oh, 12 or 15 evidence-based models now that were not even around, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So we have a you know, one of our departments here is part of their role is just identifying others across the country that are doing things really well. What aspects of their program can we kind of unite with our program and, and, and produce and help young people, you know, have, have better results? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, that fortunately, there, like I said, there's more evidence-based programs out there. Well, you said that sometimes, I don't have the exact quote, but you said, you know, when you stumble, you find treasure. Can you identify a couple of the growth mistakes or challenges or, or uh, difficulties yeah. that you had to overcome, but that now, in retrospect, you're happy that you had a chance to encounter so that you could grow? Yeah, we've grown too fast at times. Uh, we moved into North Carolina about 11 years ago, had a grand plan to grow pretty rapidly in several areas of the state because they had a, you know, a, a new funding code and uh, a new structure uh, throughout their state to, you know, to procure, um, you know, uh, services, you know, funding from. But um, it was within a year after that they, they totally realigned how they were um, uh, providing resources to providers like us. Leadership changed, and we were in a mess. And I think that, um, you know, that was a... a We've learned from it, but it costs us a lot in terms of staffing. It costs a lot in terms of money. It costs a lot in terms of reputation. And so I think growing too much, too fast in a new area of the country where you don't have the deep relationships, where you don't have really a solid and stable funding source was really a problem. So now when we move into a new area, 
we are much more cautious until we really have built those strong relationships and have a better understanding of how their funding is, is going to be appropriated, but not just how their funding is appropriated. You know, and, and North Carolina has gone through four or five dramatic overhauls in how they uh, deliver you know, uh, services uh, over the last you know, 10 years. So we've had to become more flexible and uh, also uh, know that we have to raise more money to go into an environment like that because there are going to be some some some, some landmines. Well, can you can you give us an example of a problem that was connected to your growth that you just really didn't anticipate, and then all of a sudden it was right in front of you, boom, and yeah. you had to adjust and respond, and the response was really a lot bigger than you ever would have anticipated. Do you have one of those stories for us? I think, you know, some of the biggest challenges we've faced is when we are brought into a state, you know, by a high-level person in the Department of Child Welfare, Mental Health, or Juvenile Justice, and within a year, that person resigns, a new governor is elected, a new person is reappointed, they bring in their own team, and, and overnight, you know, our interventions and our programs are not seen as important to the state anymore, but sometimes at the same time, of course, we saw this in 2008 and 2009, states also experiencing dramatic financial problems at the same time. Mm-hmm. So not only are they bringing new leadership, you've got financial problems there as well. So you know, we've had to retool several times in, in, in key states and say, okay, how can we make sure that our, our services are consistent with their needs, and not just in terms of what the people want, but also... Uh, you know, the, the, the financial challenges, you know, states are facing. So, and we've had in some cases, you know, figure out ways to deliver our services for less money while not impacting the overall quality of the programs, but also in some cases reduce the level of our services just because we can't simply um, continue to provide services that cost more and that we couldn't support financially, nationally as an organization, and kind of you know, reduce the size of, of the services we're providing. Thanks. Is there... One problem that you have found that is connected to growth that you can improve but you never get rid of, There's, is there a problem that if you're going to grow, it's always going to be with you and you're always going to be wrestling with it? Yeah, I think it's directly related to leadership. I mean, you know, you want to have leadership in place um, that really uh, understands uh, the overall risks in providing services in a particular area of the country. And everything from funding to relationships to the staff you can hire to the needs of the young people and families you serve, you know, you want to have somebody that not can just look around one corner but to look around two or three corners to see what's coming. And and that's always the challenge. And we are fortunate. We have some wonderful leaders throughout this organization, but there's always a lot of new leaders uh, that are still learning, there's, and there's also times when there's, like I referred to your landmines out there that you have no idea they're out there, and you step on one, and you've got to recover mm-hmm. quickly. And so uh, yeah. that's really what so much of our work boils down to is, is finding the, the best leaders that can implement our services. You talked about finding leaders that understand the risks, and Generally speaking, Pat, they say that you don't hire that, you train that. Do you have ways that you have developed to help train your leaders to be able to understand the risks? Yeah. Fortunately, all of our leaders have grown up at youth villages. 
and we all started working with young people and families. And the, the, the models that we use and the supervision process that we provide staff with are basically every day assessing a child and family's risk level. So they're already trained in how to assess risks with families. So they, they have the, the innate tools and kind of the DNA built in as they move to leadership positions. Beautiful. Thanks, Pat. We need to take a short pause in our discussion, but we'll be right back in a moment. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Do you know how to tell a great story? In business, the stories you tell play a big role in your success. Whether you're trying to get more clients or influence people as a leader, storytelling will help you do it. Story Powered with Leanne Pico is here to help you activate your storytelling superpower to build a better business and achieve your goals and dreams. Story Powered can be heard live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back. I'm Tom Wall, and I'm here with Rihanna Absar and our special guest, Pat Lawler. Before the break, we were discussing the challenges that Pat faced as his organization began to grow. Pat, can we talk a bit about the Harvard Business School case study of Youth Villages? How did that come about? About 10 years ago, we were introduced to the Bridgespan Group. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Bridgespan, but it's a, it's a, it's a consulting firm that helps not-for-profits do business planning. And uh, a man named William Foster was leading our our business planning process at the time, and 
he went to undergraduate school at Harvard and, and was, a, I guess, a close, uh, I guess, colleague of Dr. Alan Grossman, who taught a class there and introduced us. And, and Dr. Grossman decided he wanted to uh, do a case study about our work and spent, he and an, uh, one of his, I guess, associates, Catherine Ross, spent months, you know, doing the study and coming and visiting our program, meeting with staff and collecting data, and that's pretty much how it came out. So what did you sense that they were looking for during the conversations that they had with you? What kind of questions were they asking? You know, I think they were asking uh, a lot of questions about the, the, the change in direction of our organization that we talked about briefly earlier and helping to understand not just uh, how it impacted our work but how it impacted uh, overall systems and uh, how uh, a state, you know, you know, was willing to participate in such a, a dramatic change in direction, not just for our organization, but the state also pretty much came on board over the, a few years later and shifted their entire direction as a state. So uh, I think they were trying to understand how something that started so small could have such a significant impact, and they looked at not just the, the, the data in terms of, of kids, but also the data in terms of, of money that was saved from um, working uh, differently than just providing residential care. Yeah. So... In effect, what they were looking at was the efficacy of the specific model that you were using at that time. Yeah. Or were they looking at the overall process that your organization used to interact with the service delivery world? Right, right. Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, I think that what they were a little uh, intrigued about is how a not for profit. Uh, engaged um, so closely with the state that was willing to take such a significant degree of risk while most states were still pretty much engaged in providing, you know, residential care and foster care and not really focusing on the families so much, but how Tennessee, um, I guess, uh, embraced uh, the direction we were going as an organization and really helped, uh, you know, create the funding mechanism, which, you know, we can... We can think our programs are great, but there's not the if there's not the an adequate funding source to fund those programs, you know, it really doesn't matter. And the state was able to to try to learn more about their Medicaid system and apply for certain waivers and and utilize uh, the funds uh, that you know a lot of the funds that came from the federal government. In 2006, you joined the ranks of financier Warren Buffett, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. When you were named one of America's best leaders by U.S. News and World Report and the Center for Public Leadership at Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government, that was a wonderful recognition for you and your organization. Tell me, did a lot of persons begin to turn to you for advice after you received that recognition, or was it all business as usual and nobody even seemed to notice? You know, one thing I've noticed about, uh, you know, it seems that often not-for-profits in the in the Northeast and sometimes on the West Coast are often recognized and highlighted for their work, which and there's some and, and they des- well-deserved organizations. And I think sometimes you know organizations that are in I don't know not as high-profile cities as you know New York and Boston and L.A. Uh, I, I think maybe just you know don't get the attention they they may deserve. Because they're just not near a lot of the, 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 the I guess, uh, the media hubs of the, of the world, and that I think that it was it was great for us. I mean, it helped it helped recognize our work, but most important for us, it you know, 
it's not just about our work. It's about a total change in direction and, and, and philosophy related to the entire child welfare system. So we're always excited to share what we're doing, hoping that others will kind of change directions as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and you know, I think the hardest thing to do is, uh, is, is you know, change your belief system. And, uh, and, and you know, if, if somebody so philosophically believes it's best to put kids in institutions and take away from their families, it's hard for them to think the next day, well, you know, you can work with these families and maybe these families have become a part of the solution. So that was what most exciting. We, got, we had a better opportunity to share our story. And, yes, a lot more people have reached out to us over the years, and I think it, it, it gave us, a, 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 I guess, some attention that, um, you know, was, was great. Yeah. Well, Rihanna was here saying that she couldn't imagine having Pat Lawler on here and not focusing on some leadership-level questions. So, Rihanna, this is your time. Take it away. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, Pat, um, as a widely recognized and respected leader in the nonprofit sector, I'd love to hear more about your personal leadership development and how you think nonprofit organizations and leaders may invest in their own leadership development, particularly those just beginning their journey. Yeah. You know, my undergraduate degree was in criminal justice. My master's in counseling. I had one business class, and I hated in undergraduate school. And I think it was really late 80s that I really determined that I really wasn't doing a very good job. You know, we didn't have any money. Our programs weren't successful. You know, that's when we started doing outcome work. We weren't growing really at all. And I really uh, started talking to a lot of people, and I started reading a lot. I mean, I started living at, at bookstores, and I really never read much in school. I didn't care much about reading. And, uh, and, and when I could find business people, I'd ask them a lot of questions that I was struggling with. And like I said, I read a lot from bookstores and just kind of went on a journey to try to figure it out. And uh, actually uh, came across a, great, uh, a couple great books, but one of them was called The CEO Paradox. And I, cause I always ask this one question, what is my job? You know, what is the job of a, uh, of the CEO of a company? And it had the, this great quote in there that just summed it all up in just seconds for me. And it says, the primary role of a CEO is prepare your organization for the future. And so I never really thought of it that because I was, I was more managing day-to-day and just crisis management and never really talked much about the future until really, really in the mid, uh, early and mid '90s. Uh, so that's kind of it. But and our whole leadership team started talking about that. You know, we built, developed mission values. We built personal mission statements. We got heavily involved in total quality management. I learned about that from a book, actually called a book called "Demystifying Baldrige," which was really how the Federal Express Corporation started using data to make decisions about their organization. And uh, so that's really kind of how it all started. <clears throat> Wonderful. So um, what does Youth Village is doing to intentionally develop its leaders for the future? Well, we, first of all, I think all of the Youth Villages believe the best way to develop leaders is to put them in kind of a, I think we I heard it referred to as just manual difficulties, you know, put them in a, a position uh, that's challenging for them but not overwhelming and provide them the mentoring and the guidance and support they need during that time. Now, sure. we do have a leadership development program. We provide a lot of classes and, you know, some of the state-of-the-art stuff they, you know, most really strong organizations provide. But I think the best leadership program for any organization is constantly giving people new opportunities and new challenges and the support they need to, to fall sometimes but not fall, fall too far so they can get back up. 
And uh, I think that's how I did it. And, and most of the leadership people, the strongest leaders here are people that were put in positions that were probably a little too more challenging at the time, but they figured it out. And uh, they had support during that process, and they were given some rope, so to speak, but they figured it out. Great. And, you know, you've been with um, Utilities since its inception, and so do you feel that the leadership needs of your agency have shifted from then to now? And if so, how have you addressed that? I know you had mentioned that you guys are taking more of an evidence-based approach now. So how as a leader are you not just manning, managing that change but really leading it? Well, I think in the old days somebody being be in a meeting and say, I have an idea. And nowadays nobody would ever say that in a meeting. They would talk about the data, the evidence, how long they've tracked it, uh, you know, and, and then come up with, you know, their recommendations. So I think that, you know, people here know that we're a data-driven organization. That doesn't mean we have intuition and, you know, those kind of things. And um, But um, but I think that, you know, uh, people know we're data-driven. People know that, you know, they're expected to produce results, and people here are held accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked our COO about 10 years ago, we were having dinner one night, and I said, if you could... If there was one word that you think described the organization, what would it be? And we've never had this conversation before. And I said, I've got this word in my head. And he said, accountability. And I think that's the one thing that's so different today than it was in the early years. We, held, we, held, we hold ourselves accountable, not just to ourselves, but to each other. And as well as the leadership team, they hold me accountable for what I'm responsible for as well. Great. So, you know, as we wrap up this segment, um, what would your advice be to an emerging leader versus a more experienced leader who has been in the sector for maybe 10 to 15 years? Yeah. I think, first of all, I think every leader has got to be on a personal journey uh, towards self-improvement. And they've got to ask themselves every day, you know, did I, you know, produce results I want you that day? How can I do it better tomorrow? But I think also... Every day a leader's got to think, how am I doing, not just doing things differently, but how am I doing things um, that are, you know, if you're not teaching your staff how to do what you're doing, you can never get to new things. And I think every day we have to always try to pass on some of our responsibilities to somebody else the next day. And, of course, this happens over time. Because if you're doing the same thing every day, you're never really going to get very far. And I think that we are constantly reminding ourselves that we're leaders of other people. That's our roles and responsibilities, and building leaders is how we're going to be a bigger and a better and a stronger organization and serve more young people. And like I said, that, that means passing on what you're doing today to others and, dele- and delegating, not you know, micromanaging people and that kind of thing. Wonderful. Thank you, Pat. Thanks. Gee, I think that you're getting some great pictures or images of leadership, Pat, and... Uh, you work hard within your organization to develop leaders. And you say that most of your top leadership came up from your organization. Is that yes. correct? Yes, most of them. Yes, they have. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, that does, we, do, do you, we do have a couple people that over the years we brought in from outside intentionally uh, to bring in some new ideas and some fresh ideas, and that's made a huge difference as well. But most of the top have been here a long time. <clears throat> And you create a culture of change that, in part, is able to be sustained because all the folks have been with you through those mistakes that that you made and the things that you decided you'd never do again. That's right. That's right. But we still stumble along the way. (laughs) We still have a lot of 
a lot of challenges. But I think it's also important that, you know, you want to be sure your leaders aren't getting stale. And you see this in so many organizations. We've seen it here, and I've gotten stale myself, you know, over time, you know, at times. And how to, you know, you know, kind of regenerate yourselves and, and really, and really, we get better when we when we identify areas we're not doing well, and it's hard, it's hard for people to say this is something that we are not doing very well, and we need to do it better, and and mm-hmm. start probing and asking those hard questions in a way that's productive, not pointing fingers at people, uh, or even at your organization, but just you know in a way that is solution focused, not uh, like I said, so much uh, you know problem focused. Well, thank. Thanks a lot. Uh, Appreciate that. We'll be back in a moment. Stay with us, folks. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Rihanna Absar and our special guest, Pat Lawler. Before the break, we were discussing the case study of youth villages by the Harvard School of Business, and we were asking Pat to talk a little bit about his thoughts on leadership. Pat, we're now at the stage of this interview where we turn to you and ask you to offer some advice to the practitioners in the field. The first advice question is, if you had it to do over again, is there anything that you would have changed in how you managed the growth of your organization? You know, 
you've heard me talk already. In the first 15 years, we were not uh, growing very much as an organization. And we were learning some things, but we really weren't growing. And during that time, I thought I was the guy that was supposed to have all the answers and solve all the problems and prepare the organization for growth. But what I've learned during that first 15 years, I was, I was kind of a student of organizations that failed and organizations that did well, and especially ones that did very well. And, and, and over that time, I did not value a board of directors. And mm-hmm. if I could go back and do everything over again, and I would have focused on when I was 24 years old when I got this job, defining the best board of directors that I possibly could and finding people that knew a heck of a lot more than I did that I could rely on. And I think that's one thing I would advise every organization to do. You know, seek, for those, seek those board members that can really make a difference in your organization. Find people that can balance out, you know, your weaknesses with their strengths and, and reach for the stars. And I really would encourage, uh, while so often I see CEOs talk about their board and they can't work with them, they won't raise any money, you know, uh, you know, they just won't do what they're supposed to do. I can't get good board members. I mean, I don't think we work hard enough to find good board members because that will be the true difference maker in your organization uh, is find those good board members. Well, so Pat, that, that's, that's a the first very advice. The second fascinating advice idea. I would, build a res- I would build a reserve fund. I would, you know, early years do not live uh, on a shoestring budget. Uh, find... Um, you know, find ways to build reserves. So when you do, uh, you know, have those uh, challenging times and you do uh, try to grow the organization, you don't have the necessary resources, you know, you'll be more, uh, you know, more resource-rich. Let's go back for just a minute. Uh, your comments about if you had it to do over again, you would have jumped in sooner with realizing how important a board of directors could be. Did that insight or that understanding, Pat, come at some point from one board member who really showed you how you could benefit from a relationship with a board member, or did it come gradually over time? Nope, it came just what you said. We had a board member come on that uh, a guy named Mike Bruns uh, about 21, 22 years ago, and he was, I mean, it was unbelievable the difference one guy made on our board. And not mm-hmm. just had wonderful ideas and provide all the support you could ask for, start bringing other people on the board that could have, you know, an, Im- you know, an impact as well. Uh, not just, uh, and became a good friend in terms of, you know, helping to run and manage a business, which I was still pretty green at. And he was also growing his business at, at the same time and about the same level that I was. And just opened a new world to us that we didn't really know before. And... Um, and you know, and then we started asking ourselves about who are some other people out there like that, and, and have built a stronger board over time. You want a board that challenges and does push you and keep you awake at night. Obviously, not one that you know, where you worry about losing your job, but one that uh, <laughs> helps you be a better organization. Outstanding. If if you were a second advice question, there are smaller organizations now that have a sense that if they don't grow, they're going to die. What advice would you give specifically to smaller organizations that are wrestling with whether or not they should accept the challenge to substantially increase the size of their organization? Yeah. One, I, I, I agree with that. If you're not growing, you're, 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 you're dying. 
but I also agree that growing might necessarily doesn't mean you're serving more kids every year or your budget's growing every year. It means becoming a stronger and more sustainable organization, okay? Because before you can grow, you really got to have some strength. You've got to identify which programs are you the best at, maybe better than anybody else at, which programs do you really have passion about growing, which programs can you raise enough money to grow the programs or get the necessary funding from the government. So I think that, you know, uh, growing can be learning, can be, uh, you know, identifying new programs or services, hiring better and more qualified staff, building a stronger board without, you know, adding one more kid to the, to the number of kids you served the year before. So I, I think it's important to look growing as, as being a stronger, more sustainable organization first uh, as part of that process. That's wonderful. I mean, obviously, introducing the reality that growth you, you could grow tremendously as an organization and maintain the exact same budget. Right. I agree. That's, a, that's an insight mm-hmm. that I think all smaller organizations really want to consider. What are the best ways to prepare your organization to embrace the changes that will be needed if you're going to grow in either definition of growth that we just talked about? Pat, what do you think? Yeah, I think your organization has to have really total buy-in and ownership for where the organization's going. And, you know, I think one of the most important roles of every leader is constantly uh, remind the organization about its mission. But I think you've got to include your top people, especially in helping you determine as a leader in the organization what the direct, what the best direction is, is to go. And uh, that means the board. That means outside consultants. That means your leadership team. That means all the people, you know, that, 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 you know, that, that, that influence you as a CEO, that they're part of that process. And, and go slowly. And don't go grow unless you're ready. Now, you can't. You know, wait forever. You may have to take some degree of risk, but uh, but don't wait. You know, uh, you know, every program we've developed over the years. You know, we'll spend anywhere from one to two years making sure we've developed the right program and it's the right time. And we have the right team in place to move forward before we do it. Yeah, don't grow too fast. Now, it's not my desire here to put words in your mouth, but trying to summarize what we have talked about in this segment, would it be safe to say that you really are saying make sure that you grow on the inside before you try to grow on the outside? Perfect. Uh, I agree with that perfectly. Well, and that may be a very good way to summarize uh, this last segment uh, of this particular radio show. Um, Leadership Matters talks about what we need to become and how we can go about becoming that. Pat introduced in this segment the idea that leadership suggests that we have to grow within our organization first and then look to grow outside our organization. Pat, great, great ideas there. Any last thoughts for organizations that might be looking to grow? I think find an organization in your community that you care and respect of how they've done it and go talk to them. I mean, I will tell you, I meet people every week or two that I just learn so much from that I was just unwilling to, you know, I read a quote years ago that says, uh, I'm not young enough to know everything anymore. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not young enough to know everything anymore. 
And I think uh-huh. too often when you're young, you, you do think you know everything, and it's important once you find out you don't. Uh, and it's important you find people that know a lot more than you and ask some questions. Find some mentors. Find some, not just individuals, but organizations that have been successful in your communities and talk with them. Fantastic. Rihanna, any last thoughts? It's a really great interview, and I think um, a lot of what Pat, you've shared will resonate with um, other human service or leaders out there. So, um, yeah, I'd really like to thank you for taking the time to do this interview with Tam and I. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. Well, thanks, Pat, for being our special guest today. Thanks, Rihanna, for the wonderful opportunity that you gave us to have you participate and be with us for joining us. And thanks to everyone else who has joined us for another edition of Leadership Matters. Until the next time, we're all hoping you understand and think about Leadership Matters. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.